Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. Galatians 3, 2. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Did you receive the Holy Spirit through your own power, your own force of obeying the law? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about what? Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort, by your own human force and power? When Israel moved by their own force and power, we've talked about this for several weeks now, when Israel moved on their own force, on their own power, they failed. When they followed the guidance of the Holy Spirit, when they followed, I'm I'm repeating myself slowly so that you're absorbing. When they followed the guidance of the Holy Spirit, they supernaturally succeeded. Here in Galatia, the people were trying to force righteousness by their own power, by keeping the law of Moses. Right direction, just the wrong attitude, wrong motivation. Watch what Paul says in Galatians 5, 5. He says, but we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. Can I, by force or by my own power, create righteousness? No, but by faith... We wait for the righteousness that God has promised to us, not by our own force or power, but by the spirit of the living God in you. How do we arrive at being led by the spirit of God? How do we arrive at being led by the Spirit of God? Well, Paul actually answered that at the beginning of the book that I just read. He says, let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? No. You received the Spirit because you, what? Believed the message you heard about Christ. Church, listen carefully. Put the two and two together. It is by faith in Christ Jesus. It is only by faith in Christ Jesus that we get to the promise and the presence of God. That's easy, right? Well, Brent, if you have the right translation, go to the right church and wear the right clothes, then you're closer to God. No, you're not. No, you're not. I mean, except for Desert Heights. That's kind of... I'm kidding. Oh, brother. I <laughs> like, oh, man. It is by faith in Christ Jesus that we get to the promise and the presence of God exactly the same as Abraham did, Moses did, Joshua, and now Zerubbabel. God is not going to restore Israel and rebuild the temple because Zerubbabel is a great military leader. Or that these 43,000 Israelites that are coming are a new force of power. That's not it. It all happened. Listen carefully. It will all happen by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. And who's going to stand against the Lord of heaven's armies? 
Trust in the Lord. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek him in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, he says, seek him. That's uh, whenever he says seek him, it's seek the Lord of heaven's armies. If you need somebody to guide you, the scriptures would implore you to seek the guidance of the Lord of heaven's armies. If you got something better than that, let me know. I'll preach that. Until then, we just have to go with seek him, the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, in, in the text that we just read, the Lord of heaven's armies is referred to as the final stone, the top stone. So the second observation I want to point out here is this final stone, the top stone, is a foreshadowing of Christ Jesus. It will be set and the people will shout. And in the New Living Translation, it says, may God bless it. Other translations say, great. Grace, grace to it. It's not an either or, it's a both. As a rubble, I don't know if you've ever seen, you're probably in somewhere, somewhere in your study Bible is a drawing of an arch. And in that stone arch, there is a capstone. And what they would do is they would, build the, they would build a form in the middle, put all the stones around it, and then the capstone is what makes the sides stand up. Without the capstone, you remove the forms, the whole thing caves in. Anybody ever build adobe arches here? You guys look like you should, you live in the land of adobe, come on. You should know this. The capstone is what holds the whole thing together. Very important. Zerubbabel, he says, we're placing the final stone in the final wall of the temple, the final section, the final piece of the puzzle, and the people are going to shout, here's Brent's amplified version, the people are gonna shout, the blessing of God's unmerited favor. This is God's goodness given to us who do not deserve it. They're going to take the last stone and put it into the temple of the living God. Now, because this points toward the stone that the builders rejected that has now become the cornerstone or the capstone, the final stone. Right? It's the Psalms. 118 says, because this points toward the stone that the builders rejected that has now become the capstone, Jesus, the son of God, Jesus through his supernatural sinless life, Jesus by his sacrificial death on the cross, Jesus by the way of his resurrection from the dead brings you and I a salvation that is not by force, it is not by power, but Jesus brings us a salvation that is by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I need a mic to drop. Third observation. This happens not by or because of, of obedience to the law or by force of human will, but by the Holy Spirit. Every obstacle is removed. I need you to internalize this. Listen for a second. Because some of you are going to wonder what I'm going to say. 
Some of you are gonna resist what I'm about to say because it doesn't really fit into your theology. I'm not here to fit into your theology. You're here to fit into the scripture, okay? When we place our faith in Jesus, all right, so here's my premise. Every obstacle is removed. When we put our faith in Jesus, every obstacle is removed. Verse seven there says, nothing, not even a mighty mountain, will stand in Zerubbabel's way. It will become a level playing field to him. Every obstacle is removed. There are no obstacles when following the Spirit of God. You should write that down because you just mess with your head. Well, Brent, I have obstacles in my life. I'm sure you, why, what are you saying? You don't have any obstacles in your life? Nope, listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying in the context of the last 10 weeks of sermons. Every obstacle, every obstacle is removed. There is no obstacle when following the Spirit of God. Brent, what about the Red Sea? Was it removed? Yes. What about two and a half million people that have to be fed three times a day in the desert? Was it an obstacle that they that stopped them? No. What about the Jordan River? What about Jericho? What about Ai? What about all of these, these giants in the land? Every obstacle is removed when we follow the Spirit of God. The obstacle is when we try to get God to follow us. Then Jesus is the stone that causes us to stumble and fail. That's a whole different sermon. Friends, the Bible really say that? I don't know. You'll have to look it up and see. I may not be preaching the truth to you. You'll never know because you don't have your Bible. I gotta, I'm just going to tuck this under my arm for a few minutes. Zerubbabel was not returning to rebuild the exact same temple as Solomon's temple. Not building the same thing. Jesus is not coming to rebuild and take up residence the same stone temple as before. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 tells us, also one of my favorite scriptures. He says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. This is a whole new place for salvation. We're not talking about a stone temple for the presence of God anymore. We're talking about your body. Heart. Number three, how are we doing? Oh my goodness. Hallelujah. Resistance and repentance. All right, imagine this scene. Ezra chapter three, then the people hired masons, so they got all the returnees they got there. Then the people hired masons and carpenters and, and bought uh, cedar logs from uh, the people of Tyre and Sidon, paying them with food and wine and olive oil. The logs were brought down from the Lebanon mountains and floated along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa for King Cyrus uh, had given permission for this. So up here, it's, it's been on the map before. There's a whole bunch of mountains up here, and we kind of joke about the tallest cedars in Lebanon. Well, Lebanon is up here. They, they took the, the trees down, and then they, oh, looky there. Right here is Lebanon. They floated them down, and then they, they bring them to Jerusalem, um, just because I had to incorporate a map. The construction of the temple of God began in mid-spring, 
during the second year after they arrived in Jerusalem, the workforce was made up of everyone who had returned from exile, including Zerubbabel, son of uh, Shealtiel, Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, and his fellow priest and all the Levites. The Levites, who were 20 years old or older, were put in charge of rebuilding the Lord's temple. The workers at the temple of God were supervised by Jeshua with his sons and relatives and Cadmiel and his sons, all descendants of Hodaviah. They were helped in this task by the Levites of the family of Hinnadad. When the builders completed, when the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites descended as Asaph, uh, descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good, his faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. Picture this. But many of the older priests, Levites and other leaders who had seen the first temple, wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. Didn't tell us why. The others, however, were shouting for joy. The joyful shouting and weeping mingled together and a loud noise could be heard far in the distance. That's a church service now. Why? Because we have the foundation laid. That's exciting. Have you ever built a house? Every section of it is just oh, so exciting. So two years building the foundation for the temple. Good time to rejoice. However, Judah had been away for only 70 years, so the enemies that were there before captivity are still there in the land. So they're having a church service, and they're celebrating and being real loud, and the neighbors are going, uh-oh, something's going on. When they see that the foundation is finished, these longtime enemies wrote letters to protest, uh, wrote letters of protest to the king of Persia, King Darius, and then his son Xerxes. Uh, Xerxes was the king during the time of Queen Esther. You remember that story? My wife told me I had to tell it this morning, but I told her we didn't have time, so she said that was okay. <laughs> Later... Because Diane always helps me with my notes. Later, the protesters appeal to uh, King Xerxes, and he stops the construction uh, because of all the opposition. Now, it seems like at least two different times, uh, construction on the temple was stopped while the politicians worked it all out. I'm going to leave that alone. Uh, there was no battle. There was no war declared. Just waiting for the king's okay to proceed. And that must have been very frustrating because it's not like they got an email and, hey, the king gave his go-ahead. It's four months to get a message to and from Babylon. I can't imagine. So the temple is finally finished, dedicated, and the people of Judah, the people of Israel in Judah, they celebrate the Passover. They hadn't celebrated the Passover in 70 years, and now they get to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem, and, the, and they also celebrated the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Ezra chapter 6, verse 22 says, There was great joy throughout the land because the Lord had caused the king of Assyria to be favorable to them so that he he helped them to rebuild the temple of God, the God of Israel. Now, that gets us to Ezra 
He was a scribe. He was a priest from the line of Aaron. That's significant. Um, He was sent by King Xerxes to teach the law of Moses, specifically to teach the law of Moses to the exiles back in Jerusalem. So Ezra led the second group of people uh, from Babylon to Jerusalem. So when Ezra gets there, he takes a whole bunch of supplies again. He gets all unloaded, and that gets us to Ezra 9, verse 1. When these things had been done, when they got all the camels unloaded, The Jewish leaders came to me and said, many of the people of Israel, even some of the priests and Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the other peoples living in the land. They have taken up the detestable practices of the Canaanites. These are all people that they should have killed a long time ago. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians and the Amorites. For the men of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as wives for their sons. So the holy race has become polluted by these mixed marriages. Worse yet, the leaders and officials have led the the way in this outrage. Now, it seemed like Israel was doing so well. And then they get there and they see the pretty pagan women and they lose their minds. Uh, you know, the problem is not an ethnicity problem. It is a religious problem. That when you marry a woman with a different religion, with a different faith, you go, okay, dear, whatever you think. Big manly man. That's the problem. All right, so Ezra 9, verse 3. We're going to continue on in the same chapter. He says, when I heard this, watch this. This is incredible. I tore my cloak and my shirt, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down utterly shocked. Remember, Ezra is sent by King Xerxes, or Artaxerxes, to teach the law to these people. He arrives, and they are a mess. When I heard this, I tore my cloak and my shirt, pulled hair from my head and beard, and sat down utterly shocked. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel came and sat with me because of this outrage committed by the returned exiles. And I sat there utterly appalled until the time of the evening sacrifice. I think it's a little bit comical that here you have people who are blatantly living in sin, but boy, they're there for sacrifice. We're here to sacrifice. At the time of sacrifice, I stood up from where I sat in, the mor- in mourning with my clothes torn. I fell to my knees and lifted my hands to the Lord my God, I prayed. Oh my God, I am utterly ashamed I blush to lift up my face to you, for our sins are piled higher than our heads, and our guilt has reached to the heavens. From the days of our ancestors until now, we have been steeped in sin. That is why we and our kings and our priests have been at the mercy of the pagan kings of the land. We have been killed, captured, robbed, and disgraced, just as we are today. But now we have been given a brief moment of grace. For the Lord our God has allowed a few of us to survive as a remnant. He has given us security in this holy place. Our God has brightened our eyes and granted us some relief from our slavery. 
For we were slaves, but in his unfailing love, our God did not abandon us in our slavery. Instead, he caused the kings of Persia to treat us favorably. He revived us so we could rebuild the temple of our God and repair its ruins. He has given us a protective wall in Judah and Jerusalem. And now, oh, our God, what can we say after all of this? For once again, we have abandoned your commands. Your servants, the prophets, warned us when they said, the land you are entering to possess is totally defiled by the detestable practices of the people living there. From one end to the other, the land is filled with corruption. Don't let your daughters marry their sons. Don't take their daughters as wives for your sons. Don't ever promote the peace and prosperity of those nations. If you follow these instructions, you will be strong and will enjoy the good things the Lord produces, and you will leave this prosperity to your children forever. It's like, follow the Lord, and your children will be prosperous forever. Is that so difficult? Well, verse 13. Now we are being punished because of our wickedness and our great guilt. But we have actually been punished far less than we deserve for you our God have allowed some of us to survive as a remnant. But even so, we are again breaking your commands and intermarrying with people who do these detestable things. Won't your anger be enough to destroy us so that even this little remnant no longer survives? O oh Lord, God of Israel, you are just. We come before you in our guilt as nothing but an escaped Remnant, though in such a condition, none of us can stand in your presence. Ezra recognizes Israel's continuous sin. He acknowledges God's reoccurring salvation. Ezra is very aware of God's grace, God's provision, and God's patience with Israel. Ezra's prayer ends with the declaration that because of their guilty condition, he says, I quote, none of us can stand in your presence. We are guilty. They have the law of Moses. They've had the law of Moses for hundreds of years. Now they have a new temple to worship him. Israel sins again. Humanity cannot obtain righteousness by their own force or power. You following? Israel had every chance. They had the best opportunities. But history has proven over and over, even the chosen children of Israel, who had every opportunity tailor-made for them to be successful at creating righteousness for themselves, they failed over and over multiple times. Surely we can learn from history. 
how desperately humanity needs divine intervention. I don't say that light. I think sometimes we're flipping about, well, I just need God to help me out. No, 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 no. You do not have the right to stand in the presence of God because of your sin. You desperately need divine intervention in your life because you cannot obtain righteousness on your own. You cannot make yourself good enough to stand before God the Father. You can't. Israel couldn't. Nobody ever has. That is why we need Romans 5, verse 6 through 93. When we were utterly helpless, you know what that means? Utterly helpless. <laughs> you got nothing, sweetheart. Oh, yeah, but I still can. No, you can't. But I think, no, you shouldn't. Just follow the Holy Spirit. When you were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. And he died for us sinners. Now, most of us would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good, but we don't know anybody that's especially good. So it's no good. Verse eight, but God showed his, what? You say it, great love for who? Us. He has this great love that is demonstrated over and over and over in the Old Testament where he says, here, here is redemption. And we go, no, I got this. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us when we made ourselves good enough. No, while we were still filthy, nasty, horrible sinners, like Ezra standing before God saying, God, we are not worthy of your grace. Verse nine, and since we have been made what? Right. Since we have been made right in God's sight, how? By the blood of Christ, he will, you remember whenever I preached through Romans, I made a big deal of this word because we don't really believe it. We say it, but we don't believe it. And since we have been made right, in God's sight. In other words, whenever God looks down on us, he sees the righteousness of Christ, perfect righteousness. Since we have been made right in, Christ, in God's sight by the blood of Jesus, he will certainly, see that's how we, you guys said it exactly how we believe it. He will certainly save us from our condemnation. He's certainly gonna kinda... No, this is an act of the living God, Elohim, who says light be and light is. And he comes along to you and he says, I'm not making this out of nothing. I'm making this out of the eternal lifeblood of the Lamb of God. And I'm gonna put it on you so that you are certainly saved from God's condemnation. I got 11 minutes to read the last two verses. So I'm going to take my time. For since our friendship with God was restored, not by marching back to the promised land, nope, not by rebuilding a temple, nope, 
Our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies. We will, what's the word? Certainly be saved through the life of the son of the Lord of heaven's armies, 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 armies. So you guys don't read scripture well. Let me help you. So now, so now, now that we gather here this morning and we sing about Christ alone, and you guys, I can hear lungs coming out of throats behind me. Whoo! I thought we were going to get raptured this morning. And after last week, I'm taking Larry with me. Yeah. So now we can... See, before we had no reason to rejoice. (laughs) Now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Church, God has provided for your righteousness through his very own son. Whether you're a longtime Christian or a new Christian, or you're just researching Christianity, I want you to know, we will be certain, we will certainly be, I'll read the text, we will certainly be saved through the life of God's Son. It's a new place for salvation. It's a new temple for salvation. It's not a building or righteousness of our own doing. It is at the humble cross of Jesus where his eternal blood was shed to wash away you and I's sins. It's glorious. It doesn't get any better than that. It's a new temple, not a temple made out of stone, but the Holy Spirit comes to live in our hearts. You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.